Hello. Is Halloween demonic? And should Christians avoid Halloween altogether? Let's discuss. Welcome to the Forge and Anvil podcast, where we embrace uncomfortable conversations about culture and politics to sharpen ourselves for the race set before us. My name is Connor. I am host of this podcast. If you'd like to support the show, go ahead and go to forgeandanvil.locals.com. Joining me today is a regular guest of the show, Michael Aper. Hello, my name is Michael Aper. I'm a God-fearing seminarian who wants to challenge social norms with biblical truth and do the best I can and to that effect. Excellent. All right, well, we got a spicy topic today. I'm sure we're going to step on some toes. Um, that's all right. We're just going to do our very best to navigate this. I think it is very important for believers to uh, really follow the the instruction of First Thessalonians five twenty two, which says to abstain from every form of evil. That is why we are having this discussion. Um, it is not uh, with the intention of offending. It is just um, the intention of clarity. Uh, that being said, more pastors are encouraging their congregation to avoid Halloween. So, according to a new Lifeway survey. 8% of pastors encouraged their church to skip the festivities altogether in 2016. That number has now gone up to 13% of pastors. So although this is not the majority, we can see that this is a growing trend among the church. So, Michael, why do you think that we are starting to see this trend, and what is your, what is your take on it? Well, personally, I'm thrilled by the trend. I, I think it's good for for christians to be mindful about what we promote and this isn't just about halloween i mean that's why this conversation is relevant is because it's a way of being purposeful and mindful of scriptural truth and of the commandments that jesus has given us and that that the epistles give us to not partake in evil to not imitate evil to avoid all sorcery, idolatry, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like this that Galatians 5, 20 and 21 talked to us about. We want to avoid those things because it's very clear. So it's a good conversation to have about whether Halloween crosses the line for Christian conduct in the holiness of God. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's start to break down some of the different um, objections that we might see to um, uh, to observing Halloween, as well as the objections to not observing Halloween. Because um, my understanding of Halloween, um, both my personal take as well as um, as just uh, the more research I do, the more I see that it is really a uh, a fuzzy subject. I would not say that this is a black and white subject. You might disagree with me, and we can flush that out throughout our conversation. Um, but I do think that there is a spectrum that people can operate on in terms of how they celebrate Halloween, um, what kind of activities they participate in, and whether or not we would consider all of these actions to be sinful or in error or um, completely innocent. So that being said, um, I think one of the important viewpoints to address is maybe the individual that does not want to evaluate Halloween on a deeper level at all. Um, now, personally, I would recommend if you are a believer and you uh, do not at least take a second to think deeper about this issue, I think that you maybe should. 
because ultimately I think that uh, it is important to think biblically about everything that you do. So ultimately, if you are unwilling to look at Halloween um, beyond just the surface, um, you might want to evaluate yourself. Not because I'm saying that there's anything immediately wrong with you, but sometimes you can have a blind spot and those can creep up on us. I think it's important to be aware of um, what it is that you are doing because ultimately, um, as a Christian, we should do our best to um, glorify God as well as imitate his son, Jesus, in all that we do. So um, if you are upset about evaluating that, um, maybe just take a moment and ask God to open your open your mind, open your ears to this conversation. And if you walk away feeling um, no different, then at least we appreciate your open openness um, to at least uh, take a moment to think deeper about these issues. So, um, Michael, what would you say to the person that um, has no issues in Halloween, that maybe they just enjoy Halloween for themselves and they think that maybe we're being a little too dogmatic? I would want to question what it is that they enjoy about Halloween. And a text that's really pertinent to this conversation would be 1 Corinthians, really chapter 8 through chapter 10. This is where Paul is writing to the Corinthians. The apostle Paul's writing to the Corinthians specifically about food sacrificed to idols, because it's an issue where people are asking Paul, their church leader, should Christians, because they're getting used to this idea of even being around Gentiles, Gentiles being anyone who's not Jewish, should Christians have anything to do with people outside of the faith should they partake in the festivities to what extent they're trying to figure out boundaries as the early church which is a good thing to have to do and ultimately what's happening is that pagan worshipers of the gentiles are sacrificing food to idols and then inviting their christian friends over and the christian friends are having this issue of whether or not to partake to partake in the festivities to partake in the actual food and throughout first corinthians 8 through 10 paul explores a lot of these things and ultimately what i find in the scriptures is that paul decides that he's not too concerned about the food itself he says that it's not the food that makes you clean or unclean but your heart and instead he says be careful what you do in order not to cause others to stumble. So what he's saying is that if you eat the food or not, doesn't really make a difference, but don't you dare participate in anything that is going to cause you to be a stumbling block for those pagan believers. So for, for people who are offering the sacrifices to idols, don't partake in the food because you're influencing your witness to them. This is a text where often you hear it say that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. And Paul's writing this saying, yeah, you're allowed to. That doesn't mean it's a good idea. And that doesn't mean that it's, you know, healthy or good for you and your family or for the influence that you have on others. All of this is just framing. And really the framing is putting in context how a Christian addresses exposure to pagan practices. Halloween is largely a pagan practice, and we can see in our contemporary culture that Halloween is expressed through the exaltation of death, of 
sorcery of monsters of fear and these are all themes that surround the day and make it what it is whether it's in trick-or-treating jack-o'-lanterns there's a history to these things that are rooted in paganism and we can get into more detail on that actually but that history is compromising of christian values so what i would implore the christian to consider is if you take scripture seriously and if you take your influence seriously be mindful of what you're supporting in your actions and in your conduct whether it's on halloween or going to the movie theater or really anything but as it pertains to halloween how are you allowing your children to behave and what is it causing their influence to be to their friends or your influence on your own children yeah absolutely and all that to say i think another another um another addition i would add on to that is if you are really unwilling to look at halloween deeper than um than just seeing it as a fun holiday or a fun opportunity to join in some parties or festivities um i would just challenge challenge you that it does not matter it should not matter i should say how deeply entrenched traditions are in the culture ultimately if it is biblical or if it is not biblical um, is the is the main um, framing that we should be we should always be looking at when we are evaluating anything that we do um, so I would just say that most people who don't want to look at Halloween at all I think are not willing to part with it because they just don't want to ultimately so I would just challenge you that at the end of the day if you are a believer you will ultimately be willing to give up even this even this fun thing that you might have your own personal traditions doing if this is something that you're called to now we're not going to conclusions i'm not saying that we have concluded that halloween is bad um we will you know continue to evaluate the different uh objections and you can ultimately make your own decision so that means let's start with those origins so um i've heard a lot actually about the different origins of halloween I've heard many people say that it's a pagan uh, holiday, which you uh, alluded to some of that earlier. Um, I've also heard that there is a lot of roots in Catholicism as well as even some Celtic traditions. So um, let's go ahead and start unpacking some of those origins. So um, yes. is this a Catholic holiday? So let's go back in time into the early 12 and 1300s. In the celtic tradition within the united what is currently the united kingdom specifically ireland there was a tradition or a festival called Samhain, or samhain is how it's spelled but it's pronounced Samhain. and the Samhain festivity was at the solstice where the basically fall solstice so uh, they had different festivals for each changing of seasons so one of the largest aspects of Salveen in this Celtic tradition was the observance of a bridge between the spirit realm and the realm of the living. And this, this veil being lifted so that you could interact between the two. So it became a really common practice within that tradition to, to have uh, consultation and even seances with past relatives and things like that that were on the other side. In the Celtic tradition, there was a goddess called Morrigan. And Morrigan is a goddess of, of war and fate and 
the Celts would appeal to Morgan in order to interact with those on the other side. And there was just this tradition of bonfires. There's a lot of practices that would go into this and incantations in order to consult the dead and to commune with the dead in a, in a way that would only be accessible during what we would know as October 31st in the changing of fall for this festival. Now, once upon a time, good old St. Patrick was sent from England to the Church of England. He was commissioned to go to Ireland. He hated the idea. This is a whole history in of itself that's really interesting and I'd encourage any viewers to do some research, but St. Patrick was a not so modern day, but uh, closer to modern day Jonah, where he was called to go to Ireland, but he hated the Irish. And as he was ministering to the Irish, he learned to love them and God softened his heart and he was called in that way. So he was commissioned through the Church of England and also through the Holy Catholic Church, originating in the Vatican, of course, in Rome. And what St. Patrick's efforts did was he brought Catholicism to Ireland effectively, very effectively. One of the major evangelistic tools at the time was to integrate the existing pagan festivities and rituals into Catholicism to kind of bridge that gap, to make Catholicism more appealing to the people that were living there. So these, these Celtic civilizations who had a set of rituals and practices that they were used to they didn't want to give up their their same tradition so what not necessarily saint patrick specifically but what the catholic church and the missionaries that were coming from the vatican to make an influence in ireland what they were doing was they were finding ways to combine um, holidays in the church with the pagan practices so that they could bridge that gap and redeem the pagan practices. The effort was an effort made to redeem those practices to make them more righteous. Unfortunately, what ends up happening, and you know, I, I don't know whether this is good or not, because certainly it was done for the sake of righteousness. But what we see in history is that the the Catholic Church instituted All Saints Day. All Saints Day was then um, it was put on by Pope, it, it had already existed for a while on like November 7th or something, and then they made it November 1st by Pope Gregory III. So when Pope Gregory III made All Saints Day or All Hallows Day on November 1st, the purpose of that Catholic holiday was to acknowledge the saints that didn't have another day of the year to be commemorated on. So this was a way of kind of bunching together all the saints and honoring these dead saints by, by really paying homage or paying homage, however you want to say it, um, to these dead people. And it jammed pretty well with the existing pagan traditions of consulting the dead, except the Catholics came in and said, no, we don't do these seances and stuff. Let's make it worshipful and bring in elements of uh, like incense and candles and beautiful things 
to honor our fallen saints. Now, just bear with me here while we trace that history. When Pope Gregory III made that unified for the entire Holy Roman Catholic Church, then it wasn't just the Celts that were being forced to do this. It traveled throughout all of uh, the Catholic Church, which at that time was growing beyond any previous reaches of any Christianity or really faith in general. So what we see is then Spanish conquistadors take a lot of the, the uh, Catholic traditions and observances when they're conquering South America and Central America, the English that come into <clears throat> New England of Americas and throughout Canada, they bring those traditions as well. So even now in a lot of the Hispanic cultures in Central America, we have the Day of the Dead, which is also All Saints Day, but it's a way of observing and keeping lineage between the dead and the living and keeping a community between those things. And this is how a culture is brought to the United States and the United States, uh, it adapted and it grew largely through Irish immigrants who were coming during like the potato famine and lots of different things that forced the Irish immigrants to come into the United States through Ellis Island. So in New England, it was a, a common practice to start observing All Hallows Eve. All Hallows Eve is what we now call Halloween. And it's a day dedicated to observance of the dead and communing and paying homage to fallen people, relatives, saints. But then it, it has still managed to cling on to a lot of the darkness that it came from in its pagan origins. And it's, mm -hmm. it's adapted, it's grown, it's evolved. Of course, that's now well over 100, 130, 140 years since that was being brought into the United States. It's changed a lot. And now the United States practices have influenced the rest of the world in the way that they celebrate, you know, things like jack-o'-lanterns, trick-or-treating, yeah. which each have their own unique history in the pagan rituals as well, or at least in less than favorable conditions. Hmm. So kind of a quick summary then to make sure that I'm following you and maybe to break it down for our audience. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, um, Celtic tradition had a holiday called um, Samhain, if I'm saying that right. And that was essentially a holiday um, where they are ultimately celebrating the dead. They believe that uh, maybe the, the the veil between the worlds is thinner or something to that effect. And so that was a practice already happening. Um, St. Patrick and the Catholic Church ultimately started evangelizing to um, the Irish. And in an effort to evangelize, they sort of combined Samhain with their own uh, made-up holiday, which essentially became um, All Saints Day in an effort to kind of make celebrating the dead maybe something that seems more righteous because they were celebrating specifically dead saints. Then from there, that holiday spread through the influence of the Catholic Church all across the globe, essentially, as the Catholic Church continued to go um, far and wide in their evangelism. Is that kind of a, a, um, a accurate, quick summary? It's a, it's a cheap inversion, no doubt, because we're not able to get into all of it. And Lord knows the the catholic brothers and sisters who might be listening to this at some point in time 
uh, I'm doing an egregious disservice to All Saints Day. There is a lot of reverence that surrounds All Saints Day and the beauty that can be observed through venerating the saints and appreciating the work of the saints. So there is a redemptive nature to All Saints Day. The unfortunate part is the practice of the Eve, All Hallows Eve, All Halloween, uh, Dia de las Muertes, uh, the Day of the Dead for Hispanic communities, and there's others as well in Oriental communities. They have their own version of acknowledging the dead, communing with the dead, and offering up, in essence, tributes maybe or sacrifices to fallen relatives, things like that. Hmm. So let's talk through maybe some of the origins of what we in America would maybe um, uh, naturally think of when we think of the uh, the Halloween holiday i guess we wouldn't say it for now um such as trick-or-treating where did that come from um costumes jack-o-lanterns things of that if you can go ahead and just give us a quick breakdown of maybe some of those origins yeah we'll kind of go in in order of age perhaps uh jack-o-lanterns also come from the the sawing tradition in the celtic uh pagan rituals where basically jack-o-lanterns are originating from a folklore, folktale of this guy called Stingy Jack. Stingy Jack was a con artist and a drunk who talked the devil into banning him out of hell so that he wouldn't have to go to hell. Problem was, the reason he was going to hell is that he wasn't qualified for heaven. So he, in the lore, he was neither able to go to heaven nor hell. So he's bound to the earthly realm, even in his undead state. And at the time in the Celtic tradition, he carried around a, a hollowed out turnip and the turnip had a candlelight in it and that was his lantern. And a lot of this was just uh, folklore legends that explained the, the wills or wisps that were also part of Celtic lore, lore that um, kind of explained away lights that could be seen on the moor and through the, the fog and the woods, these little lights would be explained away through common lore so stingy jack had a lantern made out of a hollowed out turnip when that came to the united states with through irish settlers they all said turnips are miserable we it's so hard to hollow out a turnip because they're so hard pumpkins are easier so they hollow out pumpkins and the idea of a hollowed out pumpkin with a face on it is that the face is representative of the spirit that wards off the spirits of unrested in between spirit realm people, such as Stingy Jack. So Jack O'Lantern, it's Jack's old lantern, is the, the idea behind that. So hmm. its origins are less than favorable because it's purely symbolism of warding off evil spirits and appealing to any any unwell spirits that would come your way to kind of ward them away. <clears throat> now, when we come to like trick or treating and masks and costumes, that has a much more, a much less ancient background, I suppose. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, there was a tradition probably started by Irish settlers in New England and in Canada where the young people of the town, they knew the history, they knew the lore behind October 31st and what they were doing was they were 
using it as an opportunity to go under the veil of darkness while people were already on edge a little bit and they were vandalizing. There was pranks, there was um, the commodity of fear. So masks were kind of twofold where masks hid your identity while you're vandalizing your neighbor's house, but it also maybe incited fear so that people would leave you alone since it's, you know, it's Halloween's Eve. The veil is thinned or, you know, unveiled between the spirit world and the world of living. So kids were doing this for a long time and it wasn't until really around 1912, there's a woman in, uh, oh goodness, I think it was Massachusetts, I could be wrong. Someone would know the history better than I do for her, but she basically started throwing big ragers in the city to try to wear the kids out so that they'd stop trashing everyone's homes. So they started having big celebrations and festivities on Hallow's Eve in order to stop kids from vandalizing homes. Eventually, that became a tradition throughout Canada. There was a, a town that issued an article in, like, I want to say 1934 or something thereabout when they had citations of trick-or-treating and trick-or-treating is a you know it's a bargain instead of tricking us or vandalizing us can we just give you a candy and then it became an incentive that all the houses that didn't make an offering to these vandalizing children mm -hmm. would then <laughs> if they didn't make the offering then they'd be vandalized or tricked so so it goes candy so trick-or-treating is not as much of a, a dark pagan background, but it's certainly not a favorable tradition either. And hmm. you could argue that it endorses gluttony and greed and, you know, even manipulation in a certain way. I don't think hmm. that's what kids do now. So I'm not saying that that's what's happening. And I hope the listener knows that I'm not condemning the Christian practices of like, you know, trunk or treat stuff that's at the church. I think that's festivities that can be done in innocence. But again, it just goes back to whether we are, are observing the origins, the influence of people who are watching us. And I know we're, I'm talking a lot here, but a scripture that I really, really want to point out at this point that is extremely relevant for Christian practice of these things is third uh, John verse 11. And it says, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So in our practices and in our traditions, there's a lot of nefarious origins with some of these practices and the, the festivities that take place on October 31st. And the bottom line is really just, we can't imitate what is evil. Mm -hmm. We can look then to Ephesians 5, be imitators of Christ, be imitators of God. Or Ephesians 5, um, 48, be perfect, therefore, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. So how do the things that we do affect our holiness and our pursuit of righteous living and the influence that we have on our neighbors and on the people that watch us. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, I mean, I want to start bringing it back to modern day and talking through some of the um, the uh, the issues that we are going to um, uh, have brought up uh, when it comes to Halloween. So um, let's start with some might be less controversial from a Christian perspective and go from there. So um, first thing I think of when I think of Halloween, when I think of something that a Christian, in my opinion, should be um, definitely opposed to would be... Um, anything that is a evil symbolism or evil ritual, whether that be um, witchcraft or um, anything of the like, um, trying to contact the dead, um, you know, um, communicating with demons. Um, I do see that there's a lot of that being um, pushed in our culture today. Currently, uh, Vanessa Hudgens from formerly from high school musical uh, actually recently announced that she's going to be releasing a movie, I believe it is, or a documentary of some sort of her um, exploration into the field of witchcraft. So um, now personally, I used to never take this stuff too seriously. I think growing up as a Christian kid, um, you kind of heard these things a lot from mom and dad or from grandma, grandpa, whoever the case may be. Um, and it was pretty easy to kind of shrug it off. Um, Honestly, though, I actually have recently made some friends who came from Massachusetts and given the Salem witch trials and things that went on in the history of Massachusetts, um, they were much more serious about how they how they uh, viewed that stuff. And they really um, challenged me to view it differently, um, as well as uh, my wife actually has explored and showed me many videos of, of former witches who have now come to Christ and um, these people that have actually experienced um, witchcraft and um, these rituals will definitely tell you that this is not something to scoff at. They truly do believe that there is some wicked, wicked evil going on, and there are individuals that really use Halloween to perpetuate that stuff. So um, how would what would you say, Michael, should be a Christian's approach to um, handling these type of things within our culture? Yeah, well... I think what makes this an uncomfortable conversation is that a lot of us that were raised up in purity culture is that I myself included had parents who said that, you know, like Harry Potter is evil and I can't watch Scooby-Doo because it entertains evil. It's like, okay, well, you know, maybe there's something there, maybe not but it has these connotations of fundamentalist extremism and dogmatic principles of control. That's not what this is about. I, I want to be clear on that. You know, like Deuteronomy 18 verses 10 through 11 specifies necromancing um, seances. Do not commune with the dead. These are all evil, wrong practices. And this is also mentioned in Leviticus 19:31 for anyone who's taken notes and wants to look it up. So this has been a problem for a real long time. And when there's the commodity of evil practices, you know, things like, like the Hocus Pocus 2 movie that just came out. Innocent, stupid, funny. It's meant to be lighthearted. But when we make light of evil practices, then we're normalizing those things. We're normalizing raising the dead by nefarious means by communing with the dead even things like uh you know there's a lot a lot of intrigue surrounding horror films and hauntings and uh, uh even murderers i mean this goes beyond 
Halloween kind of, but the whole Ted Bundy films and the uh, the constant films about mass murderers that are at the top of the rankings. This should tell you that there's a problem. There's an illness in our culture that finds these taboo items, these wicked items of evil practices, evil people. And nobody would argue that murdering is evil and that murdering the way that, you know, like Ted Bundy murdered. And yet Zac Efron's movie that came out last year was on the top of the charts for who knows how long. It's had millions and millions of views. And everyone then went back and listened to the Ted Bundy tapes. And right now they're doing it with that other murderer, Jeffrey Dahmer, with the new film that came out with him, uh, you know, depicting his life. I think that's disgusting. I think it's disturbing. I think it's wrong for our culture to commoditize these evils. So when it comes to the genuine concern about witchcraft, about um, incantations, we joke about these things because it sounds like I'm saying, oh, Dungeons and Dragons is evil. Just like in Stranger Things season, what was it, four or five, whatever just came out. They play with that notion as well that those crazy fundamentalists think that the great, wonderful protagonist is some evil character. But at the same time, we're, we're making light of evil things that we're commanded not to do. And once again, just going to the scriptures, abstain from every form of evil. First Thessalonians 5.22. And again, out of, <clears throat> out of third John, um, Verse 11, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. These are just direct, direct commands from the scriptures. So if we're Christians, we say we're people of the book, we say we're going to follow it, then we need not admire or make light of evil practices. We can't be complacent in the exercising of these evil practices. And this goes for films. This goes for haunted houses. So that's another big one is uh, that I have a hard time understanding. Scary movies, haunted houses. Why are people so enthralled by fear? Mm. Yeah. And I can speak to that a little bit because I, I used to enjoy that stuff much more than I do now. Um, there was growing up, there was a uh, entire amusement park um, called Silverwood, but in October it became Scarywood and they turned the entire theme park into a gigantic haunted house and to be honest the artist in me still finds it very impressive um because it truly is impressive how um how how much effort goes into pulling something like that off um and i think for me that's where i enjoyed things like haunted houses and things of that nature um it was less about wanting to be scared it was more about um it was a very artistic thing to me um, now, ultimately, the the older I get, I think the more the more um, jaded I maybe get towards the world. The more I view the world as being a scary place, um, and because of that, I have less and less patience towards that kind of um, uh, of lack of care for <laughs> uh, lack of concern, I should say, for um, wicked things like dressing up as an axe murderer or 
um, you know, watching someone getting, you know, fake cut up on a table at a haunted house or something like that. You know, it's it's truly some weird things when you think about it. And, you know, someone is probably listening to this and maybe thinking that, you know, I'm I'm being dramatic, but I would honestly challenge someone. And this isn't a thought exercise I did um, just recently. Try to remove yourself as best as you can mentally from our culture, um, from even the human race. Try your best to pretend you're an alien who has landed down onto this planet and you land on Halloween and you happen to come into a really well done haunted house (laughs) and you go through this entire haunted house absolutely terrified and you come out at the end and at the end of the haunted house you see a whole bunch of friends just laughing and they were just having a great time through that whole thing. Don't you think you'd be a little bit weirded out? <laughs> you know, that's just kind of a thought exercise that I did recently that I thought was really um, insightful because I think it's so normalized in our culture that we just think, yeah, I mean, people do that. They, they like to scare one another for fun, like it's a roller coaster or something like that. And it's like there's a bit of a difference between a, a thrill ride and trying to scare the, the bejeebas out of someone. So um, now... That being said, I think that there are people that are going to argue for that. And ultimately, um, you know, if, if you disagree, that's that's ultimately your right to do so. Um, but let's maybe talk about the things that are maybe um, less uh, black and white from a Christian perspective, such as um, trick or treating uh, or going to a Halloween, uh, a Halloween party. Um, of course, I could definitely say that there are a lot of uh, aspects of Halloween partying, um, such as drunkenness and dressing inappropriately that you can definitely um, take issue with. Um, But I'm talking more like a PG um, kind of uh, everyone's dressed as Super Mario or, um, you know, a character from The Office um, just for a a fun um, PG Halloween party, Um, as well as drunk or treats from uh, churches. Many churches do outreach during the time of Halloween. So what are your thoughts on some of those uh, more seemingly uh, innocent practices? Yeah, there's Specifically in the church, there are efforts made to still redeem what is fallen. Just like the Catholics were trying to do with the origin of this. Um, Things like trunk or treat, fall festivals that take place on October 31st. Um, what What I have a problem with is when Christians will make an effort, like, you know, there's this idea that we want to redeem what has fallen. That's great. And talking about pagan rituals and stuff, we could even say that Christmas and Easter have pagan connotations, but they're oriented towards Christendom and even in secular practice. Halloween does not bear Christian influence, but it also can often influence Christians to practice pagan and dark and evil things maybe without even recognizing for what it is. So even stuff like, uh, you know, I have a problem when I go to a church function and there's like skeletons or, or even silly stuff like spider webs or jump scare things or anyone dressed like a witch. Like I draw the line with all of that personally, because I don't want to entertain the image of evil. I don't want to, become complacent with what the Lord hates. Uh, And there's plenty of text about what God hates throughout the Psalms. And 
when it comes to more innocent practices, what I'll say is if you've got little ones and you want to go to the church trunk or treat and they're dressed as Super Mario, I'm not going to say that that's sinful by any stretch of the imagination. For myself, I struggle with some of those things because what we're doing is in these practices, we're mimicking the cultural norms and we're mimicking the traditions that are based in evil practices. So even like trick-or-treating in and of itself is not demonic, but it's not exactly a wise transaction either. I would never want my child to say trick or treat. I, I just don't like what that connotates. Does that mean that I would never let my kid go to the church function and be in a lighted environment that attempts to honor God? course I'll let my kid do that and and within the boundaries that I find necessary and inevitably because those are usually community outreach programs you get the neighborhood kids that are dressed like zombies and dead things spirits horrifying things and that is in its own way a, a form of outreach so I'm not gonna have a problem with people who aren't of the church attending those things because then what I would like is for the church to show an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. So I think ultimately my take on this is that it really boils down to your conscience and what the Holy spirit has individually convicted you of. Um, I think there are some things that you can argue are black and white. And um, if an individual doesn't feel conflicted about maybe some of those more black and white issues, they might want to do some soul searching, um, you know, and really just spending some time reflecting and meditating on God's word and um, asking the Holy Spirit for wisdom on these issues. Um, And, you know, ultimately, I think that the Holy Spirit will tell some individuals, um, you know, that they don't have to cut certain things out because maybe for that individual, um, the Holy Spirit is not convicted of that. Whereas others, I think, are going to be convicted to take a stronger stance on some of these topics. Um, As for me, you know, I'm of the mindset of if I ever had a Halloween party, um, you know, I'd be okay. I wouldn't necessarily want to go out of my way to someone else's Halloween party unless I kind of know the person well, Um, because I think having some control in these environments, given that there is a lot of weird stuff that goes on, because we also have not even talked about some of the other things that go on, um, such as the actual bad practices that go on, um, such as crime, um, uh, you know, that goes kind of under the radar in disguise during Halloween. Um, I mean, (laughs) just, I don't want to get too um, off here, but um, I mean, when everyone's dressed up like a murderer and everyone's pretending to attack each other and things like that, it's kind of easy to <laughs> to actually get away with crime. Um, so, you know, that's a whole other um, subject in of itself. But all that to say, for me, I just plan on protecting my family by um, always having controlled environments. Um, but uh, do I mind having a fall festival? Uh, no, not at all. Do I mind having even a Halloween party? Uh, Not necessarily, but I would probably do a controlled setting, either my own party or someone who I know well, and I would try my best to make sure that those attending do, you know, um, appropriate costumes, Um, nothing sexy, nothing scary. Um, And of course, um, I do believe that there is opportunity to evangelize during Halloween. You can give out tracks with your candy. Um, I think it's important to give out really good candy if you're going to do that. 
um, not just the tracks, because that's not really a great witness. Um, just, uh, <laughs> you know, just, just being honest here. Um, but ultimately, I would say it boils down to the conscience. And that's kind of where I have um, fallen on this Halloween uh, debate as of right now. And of course, if that changes, maybe we'll do uh, future episodes in future years. But um, um, for me, I have decided this year that my wife and I are going to be um, hosting a worship night as an alternative to Halloween. Um, because for some of the reasons that we mentioned, I do believe that there's a lot of evil um, spiritual uh, warfare going on 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 Halloween. And, you know, if I can um, sing some songs um, to my Savior as a sort of alternative to um, to that negative spiritual energy, I, I plan on doing just that. And so that's, that's where I'm at as of right now. Um, I don't know if that's uh, something that you would... Um, take issue with michael or if you're on the same page but um ultimately that's kind of what i think it boils down to is that matter of conscience yeah i mean ultimately this is an ongoing conversation and i think we're right to say it's an individualized conversation and the best thing to do is to be mindful please be aware of what you're imitating in our culture because our culture is not righteous and the ways of men are not righteous and Romans 12, 2 says, no longer be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And through sanctification unto God, we can renew our minds and be aware of what's going on around us. So when it comes to these type things, like I've said multiple times, it's not just on October 31st. This is a lifestyle of choosing to be Christian. Part of the biggest problem that I have with the Catholic Church trying to redeem a pagan holiday by making it a new holiday, which it shouldn't be called a holiday because it's not holy. It was a pagan festival that was attempted to be made into a holiday, a holy day. The problem that I have with that is that scripture doesn't, scripture doesn't show me that practice. It doesn't show me a practice of conforming to pagan practices or evil practices what i see in scripture is an alternate way altogether and a reformation of lifestyle so when i think of following jesus everything that i thought to do before knowing christ is no longer relevant and if we're going to follow christ truly and be transformed in the renewing of our minds then we cannot imitate evil we cannot uh, entertain images of evil and this is a challenge this is not just me sitting on my high horse and saying this is what the bible says no i look in the mirror every day and i have to say okay what tv shows do i watch what music do i listen to what am i engaging in that is contrary to righteousness so when it comes to halloween practice please be mindful of these things and please be aware of what you're choosing to do and weigh it against scripture and the lifestyle that Christ has called us to through scripture, I think is a better way, is a more righteous way. We don't need to conquer fear by constantly facing it and commoditizing it and making it entertainment. We can conquer fear through the power and blood of Christ alone, through the empowerment that God has offered to us to deliver us from fear. We don't need the ways of the world. So as you go forward, please 
recognize what the scriptures say, read the scriptures regularly, especially if you call yourself a Christian. And even if you don't call yourself a Christian, try it out. Read the scriptures. See what see what the Bible says. It's a pretty good book. <laughs> Absolutely. And furthermore, one last thing just on, on Halloween. I did write a little blurb with some of the information that we've discussed mm -hmm. today. And if you would like to take some time to read through that, maybe find some more direct information about what Halloween is and how a Christian can respond to these things. I've written out a summary of our conversation and the gist of it, plus a little bit additional. And we'll post that on our locals page so that you can have access to that as well. Absolutely. That being said, there's so much more we could talk about, but we are running out of time. But um, either way, you can find that at forgeandanvil.locals.com. You can also support the show there, and we do appreciate any support that you give. Michael, where can people find you? You can find me doing a Greek midterm this weekend, learning all my conjugate vowels and endings for parsings. <laughs> Excellent. All righty, guys. Well, we have been the Forge and Anvil podcast. Thanks so much for listening.